Welcome to the Health Leaders Revenue Cycle podcast. I'm Alexandra Pecci, Revenue Cycle Editor for Health Leaders. My guest today is Becky Greenfield, partner with Wolf and Cabbage, a Miami law firm specializing in healthcare, insurance coverage, and business law. Becky, welcome and thank you for being here. Thanks so much, Alex. I'm happy to be here today. Today, we're talking about CMS's controversial price transparency mandate for hospitals that went into effect on January 1st. But before we dive in, I want to put this episode into some context for our listeners. We're recording on January 7th, which is just a few days after the mandate went into effect. Hospital leaders have spent months preparing for and worrying about and arguing over the mandate. And now that it's here, the drama surrounding it has not gone away. In fact, it's even ramped up a bit in the past several weeks. Just a few days before January 1st, a judge threw out the American Hospital Association's appeal of an earlier court decision which upheld the mandate. And hospitals have been asking to delay the mandate because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But not only did CMS not delay it, the agency also announced in late December that it would be auditing a sample of hospitals for compliance starting this month. And that's in addition to investigating complaints of noncompliance. So Becky, Why don't we start with you just kind of giving us a refresher on what this mandate is, what it's asking hospitals to do, and why they don't want to do it. Yeah, sure. So this whole thing starts with Section 2718E of the Public Health Service Act. Um, And under that act, effective January 2019, hospitals were required to disclose their quote-unquote standard charges to the public. Um, when, when this came out in 2019, um, this was interpreted to mean a disclosure of bill of charges only. And hospitals complied to some extent, um, although, you know, they at times did make it a little bit difficult to find these bill of charges. So it wasn't totally um, effective. The data itself um, was, was not um, user-friendly. And, really had nothing to do with what an individual consumer was going to pay uh, out of pocket for healthcare costs because, you know, as we know in the industry, bill charges is not really um, typically what what is actually paid for service by by anyone, um, let alone, you know, individuals covered by insurance. So fast forward um, 2020, President Trump signed his Improving Price and Quality Transparency in American Healthcare to put patients first. And this is the first time where we see the definition of standard charge um, demodified. um, And it essentially directed CMS, the agency, to issue regulations that, um, that set out different standard charges. And when they define standard charge, CMS says that it is the regular rate established by the hospital for an item or service for a specific group of paying patients. Um, And so that brings us from one bill charge to five separate standard charges. Um, So in addition to the bill charge, we now are looking at hospitals needing to be um, disclosing negotiated payer rates, um, a de-identified minimum charge and a de-identified maximum charge, which are intended to kind of be the benchmark um, for consumers to decide to determine whether their payer 
negotiated well for a particular uh, service, and then a self-pay rate for those that are uninsured or underinsured. And the hospital must submit these five standard charges um, for, for themselves and for employed practitioners. Um, this does not apply to contracted uh, physicians and other practitioners. And they must disclose um, individual services as well as what CMS calls a service packages, uh, which is an aggregation of individual items and services into a single charge. So when we think of service packages, we're thinking DRGs, bundled services, and other types of uh, payment methodologies, um, perhaps weighted payment methodologies. And so hospitals are required to disclose these five separate charges in two different ways. Um, one is in a machine-readable file. Um, according to CMS, this is really not for the consumer, but more for researchers and other vendors that can aggregate this data on a, a very uh, widespread basis and create their own kind of consumer-friendly tools for the government to do their own analysis on the data and for researchers, researchers to conduct analysis on the data. And then this 300 shoppable services. And um, CMS uh, has chosen 70 of those four hospitals, which must be disclosed. Um, and the remaining uh, can be chosen by the hospitals based on volume or um, on the uh, based on the most expensive uh, services. Mm -hmm. And so, um, for this second part, this 300 shoppable services, this can either be in uh, in multiple files or alternatively, and what I think many hospitals have chosen to do which is disclose these 300 shoppable services through um, a, a, a consumer price estimate tool. Um, so essentially, and, and you may have seen these already, hospitals throughout the country have already implemented these in one, in one way or the other. Insurers have implemented these. Um, the consumer goes online, they put in some personalized information and out shoots, you know, uh, out of pocket real-time data um, and so that's you know there's lots of little intricacies involved but that's kind of the the base that's pretty much what what the mandate is about mm -hmm. so i think your second question was why don't hospitals want to do it um you know i i can think of a, a few different reasons um so while i think hospitals support the idea of price transparency, and they've moved towards price transparency again through these shoppable, um, you know, shoppable tools online. Um, they, you know, we have clients that have very um, robust, centralized, um, kind of like uh, consumer departments where people can call in and get and get really good estimates of what they're going to pay out of pocket. Um, the hospitals and and the support of the American Hospital Association, other associations, their point, I think, is kind of twofold. Um, one is these regulations are just too burdensome, and there are there are pieces of it that will not achieve 
what the agency is and and Congress is trying to do, which is to help consumers really understand what they're going to pay for services. Um, and then I think um, the, the other pushback is um, with respect to um, negotiated charges and just requiring this massive data dump of negotiated rates in the machine readable file where again hospitals are thinking there's there's better ways and less administratively burdensome ways to show people what they're going to pay based on what type of insurance they have or lack thereof um, and that would be again through these shoppable tools um, where the contract rates are built in in the back end but the hospitals don't need to just you know word vomit essentially all of their um all of their negotiated rates so those are those are two really big ones and um the burden and the uh the the proprietary nature of negotiated rates was um was definitely um a big part of this ensuing litigation by the American Hospital Association. Um, you know, hospitals, in the final rule, CMS came up with a really significant underestimation of, number one, what this is going to cost hospitals to implement in the first year and, and ongoing years, and the amount of hours that needed to be spent. Um, you know, hospitals are really looking at probably about 150 hours um that you know that's uh much more of the reality than what was uh what was estimated by cms initially um and then uh beyond that and the, the, those were all kind of the initial arguments by hospital we're now dealing with covid you know um throughout the past year hospitals have had to lay off staff because of um, you know elective services have put on hold, they're dealing with an influx of patients, um, you know supply source management, um, and, and now <laughs> now January first, they're now trying to figure out okay how do we get vaccines to the public, and and so there's just more important things to worry about right now. Um, and where their resources are are really needed, and hospitals have implored the government to recognize this and um, you know and not require hospitals to pull their resources away from that important work um and and to start just you know posting this data online. So you know, as you mentioned, these are some some of the arguments. I mean there were many other arguments. Um, brought forth by by the hospital association, but um, you know the DC appellate court found in CMS's favor. Um, it found that CMS had the authority to interpret standard charges to mean more than billed charges, and so we are, you know, here in January seventh, um, and getting ramping up, if not already trying to reach 100% compliance with this mandate. And there's the added wrinkle that a lot of revenue cycle folks are working from home. I'm sure that doesn't make it easier. Exactly. 
Exactly. Exactly. You mentioned your clients um, and their hospitals. So you've been helping them deal with this from a legal standpoint. What have the past couple of days and weeks been like for them and you as you guys have kind of gotten ready for this and maybe rolled it out? Yeah, so, um, you know, the what I can say is I'm not sure the question is really the past couple of weeks or days. This has been a, a, a longer term project. Um, and I would say, yes, past couple of weeks, but I would say in the past three to four months is really where I saw um, hospitals kind of perk their ears up and, and start really paying attention to this. Um, when I initially spoke to hospitals, in, I guess it was the end of 2019, maybe beginning of 2020, um, there was still so much uncertainty in the courts. And Hostels, from what I was hearing, you know, they were saying, eh, $300 a day. I don't think this is going to happen. The rule is not going to end up looking like the rule looks like today. So let's just hold off. And if we're not compliant at the beginning, then we're, we're not compliant and we'll figure it out later. And that really, again, drastically changed. I think in the last four to six months, you know, the appellate court, um, the DC court uh, found in favor of EMS and there was more certainty that this price transparency rule was going to stay and substantially the the way that it looked um, that it wasn't going to be changed dramatically and so that's when I started really speaking with clients and addressing some of these preliminary concerns and trying to discuss with them what what is needed and pretty massive undertaking, you know, just explaining the basics of the rules and as well as the intricacies of the rule. Um, you know, we, we spoke about not only what's, what's technically required by the rule, so not only the fact that they have to start pulling their contracting data, um, not only that, um, you know, they're going to have to decide how they want to disclose the 300 shoppable services. Um, we talked about what vendors, if any, they wanted to bring on board to start developing um, a price estimator tool if one wasn't already um, in play. And if there were in play, you know, we spoke about doing an analysis of whether their current price estimator tool complied with the rules. And if so, you know, what needed to be changed. Um, but also more of like, um, managed care strategy um you know analyzing contracts to determine who your outliers are um if, if there were outliers and what how the public may perceive that and are there strategies um to bring payers into quote unquote parity or, or closer to parity um, and and how do we do that are there other contracts that are, are there other um, service lines that perhaps can be adjusted so that we reach parity for a particular product 
or are there, um, you know, buy down options, et cetera, et cetera. So those kind of strategy discussions. And then kind of like where, when you look at your 300 shoppable services and you look at your competitors in the market, where do you fall? Um, are you really expensive? Do you want, how is that going to look to the consumer when you are twice as much as hospital B down the street? And if you are, and there's a reason, how can you um, differentiate yourself from others in the market in terms of value or customer service, et cetera, et cetera? You know, how do you integrate price and quality? So th those were also kind of discussions that, that we had. Um, and then kind of analyzing the current consumer-focused strategies within the hospital systems. So again, um, you know, I think I discussed that um, some of the hospitals already have pretty robust um, departments that that can that give good estimates of cost. How do we integrate those departments with these new rules? Um, so we had some some of those strategy uh, discussions, and then you know, other other things that kind of popped up were really technical compliance questions, I guess. Um, you know, what does it mean to have a employee physician group? Um, CMS had given hospitals deference in the final rule about um, what is a quote unquote employed physician. And so, you know, I would help the client analyze um, who, who those employed physician groups are or whether they were contracted physician groups that did not, whose, whose rates did not need to be disclosed or their, their um, standard charges did not need to be disclosed. Um, and then um, one other thing that, that we discussed uh, was, do you have the staff uh, in place to start fielding consumer calls about price transparency? Um, do you have scripts in place? Um, are these staff, in addition to having enough staff, especially in light of COVID, do you, are they trained and know how to answer these questions in a consumer-friendly way? Um, so, so that those are kinds of things we talked about. Um, and um, you know, I, I can say that I know at least some of our clients have spent significant resources trying to be compliant. On January 1st, um, I kind of did my own little audit of, of some of these hospitals um, that we represent. And I can tell you, I did not see one that was compliant 100% with the rule wow. as of today. So it, it's a, a massive undertaking. Um, I think hospitals in good faith, at least the ones that I've spoken in good faith, are trying to achieve compliance. And I think they will get there sooner than later, um, but as of today, that is not have been, it is not achieved. So that's kind of what I've seen. Well, that kind of, you know, leads into my next question about compliance and whether to comply and how to comply. And in my conversations with revenue cycle leaders, I've seen that they've been kind of split on how to deal with this at all. Some, like you said, in good faith, plan to be fully compliant or as compliant as they could be right away. Others were just planning on taking that $300 a day penalty. Others kind of had the data ready. 
or waiting to see what their competition did before they decided to fully disclose everything. So you said that like none of your clients, or at least um, none that you audited, are total, totally fully compliant. Do you feel like they think they are, or is it one of those they're working toward it and no, they're not, or is this some strategy involved? Yeah, so so in my audit, um, and this was just a brief audit, um, and these are just some of our clients. I know of other hospitals that have been fully compliant day one, mm-hmm. um, but here in Florida, so what I saw was just varying levels of compliance. Um, some haven't posted anything. The only thing that I was able to find was their list of bill charges from 2019 which was again was required under you know public the the public act of 2019 other clients um have already established a price estimator tool which um are good to go um i saw others where it looks like they're good to go um and then when i put in my own information it said call us at you know you know, one 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 for more information. Um, so it looks like they're building the tool, but perhaps the data just hasn't been um, fully uh, uploaded and not really working yet. Um, and then I saw other clients where they have posted a machine readable file, which I was a little uh, surprised about because in my discussions, uh, pretty much at a national level, um, with hospitals, that was the part where I heard hospitals saying, eh, like, we're, we'll, we'll make sure we're compliant day one with the shoppable services, but like, we're gonna kind of hold up on the machine readable file and see what else uh, everyone else is doing. Again, from what I said before, this just concern of releasing mass amount of proprietary information. Um, so, but I did see clients, um, have the machine readable file up and ready. I was able to download it. Um, I was able to manipulate the file once I downloaded my computer. Um, but then they did not have the 300 shoppable service. Um, what I saw and I liked from some of my clients, uh, was disclosures on the website stating you know, we acknowledge that January 1st, this mandate came into play. We have done X and we have every intention of doing Y. Um, and, you know, some of them even uh, disclosed who their vendor they're working with is to uh, make that happen. So that was something um, that I thought showed good faith that they acknowledge there, there are requirements that they haven't met, but that they're, they're working towards achieving those. Um, in the future. So again, clients is all over the place. Hospitals have taken varying positions on on um, what was what they wanted to be the first thing to be disclosed, and um, and, and again, some were just totally silent um, on the website, or at least I couldn't find the price transparency um, tool and information. And and that's that's also notable, right? Because part of this um, part of this mandate came out of the fact that in 2019, hospitals were required to disclose their built charges 
and yet you couldn't find it. You ha you have to go digging. You have to log in to get this information. And so even if if these hospitals that I audited um, did disclose were complying and and did disclose them on the website, it was difficult to find. At least I didn't find it, and that would also um, not be compliant with the rule. And I, I think it was December 21st, the American Hospital Association wrote to the Biden administration saying, essentially, like, please go easy on us. Um, so do you think those, like, disclosures of, like, we're working on it were for CMS rather than for consumers? I, I, if, I, I think so. I think so. Um, at least in my mind, it would be a smart move to put it out to tell CMS if they, you know, if you do audit us, we know you're looking, um, we know what we're required to do, you know, throw us a bone here. Uh -huh. This isn't, we're not trying to, um, you know, we're not trying to materially not comply with your rule. We got a lot going on, you know, contact us for more information. That's, uh -huh. I mean, that seems, that seems uh, like a good idea to me. Um, so along that idea of audits, CMS also announced at the end of December that they would be auditing in January. Does that change anything for how hospitals are dealing with this, or were audits kind of always part of the deal here? Yeah. So I don't think that it will have a huge impact on hospitals because I think hospitals have been speaking about compliance strategy for a while and they've either decided we're going to be compliant or we're not going to be compliant or we're going to be partially compliant. So I, I don't think that the audit announcement had an impact, but I, you know, I was pretty, um, I don't want to use, I was disappointed um, when the announcement came out because um, in the final rule, and I read it, um, it's long, but when, when CMS started talking, when CMS talked about audits um, and compliance in the final rule, they made it seem that, yes, they would have the right to conduct their own audits, but that they would really be looking for substantial non-compliance and they'd really be relying on consumer complaints as the basis for the start of an audit. Um, so that was the first thing that, that kind of threw me off a little. It seemed like they totally sidestepped from that and said, no, 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 you know, day one, we're gonna go out, we're gonna find you, we're gonna, if you're not complying, we're gonna go after you. Mm -hmm. um, and then, but more, more importantly, is um, how they said they were going to kind of assess penalties. So in the final rule, again, it was kind of more like, hey, we'll work with you. You know, first, we're gonna, we'll monitor hospitals. And if there's a complaint, or maybe we conduct our own audit once in a while, um, we'll send you a preliminary notice. And at that point, hospital will get it. They'll be able to cure the deficiency without further action. Um, and only if this deficiency was material and the hospital decided they didn't want to address this deficiency, then CMS would impose a cap. 
And again, CMS and hospital would work together to formulate a cap that worked for both parties. Hospital would um, would hopefully fulfill the the requirements in the corrective action plan or the cap. Um, and then we'd go on our merry way. Um, if the hospital didn't, at that point only, would um, CMS impose this $300 penalty and then you know, blow it up on their website that this this um, this hospital didn't comply. And then, you know, when they were going to impose a penalty, they would tell the hospital, you know, why they're not compliant, the effect of the violations, kind of give them like an outline of why, you know, we went through these steps. You did, you still didn't listen or want to comply, and now we're going to tell the world you didn't comply, and you're going to pay a penalty three hundred dollars a day going back to the date of non-compliance, which in this case would likely be January first. Um, that's not the feeling that I got from the CMS um, enforcement announcement. Um, in fact, the language that it says in the announcement is that it will generally but not necessarily follow the process outlined um, below, which was essentially the, you know, the formal, the the formal notice, and then the cap, and then the penalties. It, it, I mean, it, they said, hey, we we may follow what we said in the final rule, or we may not follow what, what we're going to say in the final rule, and that that to me is the most concerning part of that notice um, because it goes from a um, uh, somewhere, something where CMS said, we'll cooperate with you. Um, we know this is a new thing to, you know, authoritative enforcer. We're going to, we're out to get you and find you. So um, that was kind of, that threw me off a bit. Um, I was pretty disappointed, especially as you said before, you know, in light of of COVID and, and everything that the hospitals are going through and trying to get um, some of these uh, requirements delayed, CMS just took an entirely different approach. There we'll are still, still kind of unanswered questions too about compliance, like you said, the issue around employed physicians. Is that something that's still up in the air for people about how to deal with? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's probably the biggest unanswered question um, and it could have the the burden could be exponentially increased if some of these hospitals have to include groups that they initially um, believed were not employed, but CMS says that they, you know, they are in fact employed. And you know, CMS gave the hospitals discretion. They said they did not want they they understand that the um, organizational frameworks are complex and they vary and the hospital gets to decide um, and but we just we don't know if further rules will, or, or guidance will explain in greater detail what what CMS actually wants you know um, if it's part of a hospital system is that an employed practitioner right now I'd argue it's not mm -hmm. um, especially if the flow of, of um, you know, if if the hospital is not negotiating rates on behalf of um, the employee, the employee, uh, I'm sorry, on behalf of the physicians, if the 
income stream doesn't go towards the hospital, it goes totally separate to the physicians. Um, you know, I would argue it's, it's, they're not employed, but we'll find out um, as CMS conducts these audits and, and maybe uh, tightens up some of the regulations. And finally, I'm gonna ask you to gaze into your crystal ball and think about the next six to 12 months um, what do we see in terms of hospital compliance, legal action, CMS enforcement, especially as we said with a new Biden administration coming in in less than two weeks? Yeah, so I mean, I think I think the next six to twelve months we'll see hospitals increase in compliance. I I think you know their websites will be a lot different. Um, I'm hopeful that um, they'll be easy to find and that they have these uh, price tools pricing tools up and running. Um, I think they may have to tweak some of their initial disclosures um, based on potentially these initial CMS audits um, and and maybe even some caps uh, if the CMS really goes that way. Um, and I'm hopeful <laughs> I'm hopeful that the Biden administration will um, acknowledge that hospitals have it pretty pretty rough right now and that they need some some extra time and some um, cooperation from CMS, um, especially those hospitals that really mean that that really do intend to comply and just need some extra time. Um, in terms of legal action, you know, I know that the American Hospital Association mentioned um, briefly that they were looking to see if they had any um, any options from a legal perspective. Um, I don't know if it will do anything. Um, I say that because even if the American Hospital Association wins um, in subsequent legal action. Um, even if the Biden administration relaxes some pieces of this rule, so like, for example, I'd love the Biden administration to get rid of this machine-readable file. Mm -hmm. That would be fantastic. I think that it's useless for a consumer perspective, which is the point of all of this. Um, but price transparency is not going anywhere. Um, we saw that in the 2021 IPBS rule with respect to Medicare, you know, hospitals um, have to disclose their median payer-specific negotiated MSDRGs um, for their for contracted Medicare Advantage organizations. Um, we see this in the sister law um, to the mandate for, I'm sorry, the, the sister final rule to the mandate for insurers. Insurers have to disclose. Um, cost-sharing information. They have to publicly disclose their in-network rates and, and their in-network and negotiated out-network rates, um, and create shoppable tools for consumers. And then, even with this very new No Surprise Act, um, there's a transparency component for out-of-network services. So, price transparency is not going anywhere. Um, so. You know, I think at this point, we hospitals just need to keep moving on, working on towards uh, compliance with this rule 
and um, you know, stop stop any delay at this point. So Becky Greenfield, it has been wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much for being here and sharing all your vast knowledge with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you listeners for joining us on the Health Leaders Revenue Cycle podcast. Until next time, keep taking care of patients and taking care of each other. And that's it. Good job. <laughs> I like I like your closing. It's very <laughs>